Thank you, Brother Jason. Please open your Bibles with me today to the book of 1 Corinthians and chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Good to see you all here today in the house of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and help you and encourage you today as we study the Word of God together. I ask you to keep your Bibles open. We'll be looking at a few other passages of Scripture this morning uh, together. Let me um, read a few verses here and uh, preach from these passages this morning. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse number 23, it says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death, Till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you'll bless me today as I preach from your precious word. Help me, I pray, to honor you, your son, and edify the saints. And I'll be very grateful. Lord, if you would use your humble servant, dear God, and I pray that you might be glorified in Christ's holy name. Amen. All right, I want to preach to you this morning for a few minutes on the greatest memorial of all time. You know, there are many historical memorials in the United States that represent the death of soldiers in ages past. I love and appreciate the military of the United States of America. When I see a man wearing uh, a veteran's cap, I always go over to him and shake his hand and If I have the opportunity at a restaurant, I will pay for his meal. I just want to let him know that I appreciate his service, and uh, and I'm very grateful for that. I don't know if you're aware of this, but tomorrow uh, is Memorial Day, and I know I think uh, most of you are aware of that, but I'm not sure you understand exactly what it is, especially our young folks. But tomorrow, about 3 o'clock p.m. local time, around the United States. The uh, communities and the towns and the cities will be taking a moment to honor the soldiers who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country. Now, don't get this confused with, you know, our, our country loves to honor the military and sometimes the days get a little confusing to some folks. The Armed Forces Day honors those who are still in the uniform. Veterans Day honors those who have worn the uniform in days gone by. But Memorial Day 
is to honor those who never made it out of their uniform alive. And you know, you've heard that saying that all gave some, but there are some who gave all. And that's what Memorial Day is about. Just taking a moment and looking back and thanking uh, those who have sacrificed ultimately the most. Are you aware that in World War I, we lost 116,516 men in that war? In World War II, we lost 292,131 men. And of course, there have been other wars since then. But those were, I would say, probably cataclysmic wars as far as the death toll is concerned, not referring back to the Civil War, which was between ourselves and the United States. And that was when we buried nearly 600,000 of our own men here in our land. Franklin D. Roosevelt said, Those who have long enjoyed such privileges as we enjoy forget in time that men have died to win them. Someone said we often take for granted the very things that most deserve our gratitude. Another person said, if you want to truly honor a fallen soldier and his family, be the kind of American worth fighting for and dying for. I like that. You know, God is for memorials. God likes Memorials. You know why he is? Because you and I are very forgetful people. You know, people hardly remember now today and understand the destruction that took place even on 9-11. I think they ought to play that about every week or every month on the news of what took place. But people, things fade and people forget and life gets busy and we don't remember the things that we ought to remember. And the Lord knows that. And so when God brought Israel out of Egypt, out of great bondage, He said, I want you to establish a memorial. He said, I want you to have what is called the Passover meal. And I want you to remember what happened the night when your forefathers were delivered by the power of God and the blood of an innocent lamb. We know what that pictures. And then later on, God even had, when He delivered Israel out of the desert, across the Jordan River, into the Promised Land, He had them set up twelve stones, so that when their children, their grandchildren would go back and see this monument, they'd say, what's that for there, Grandpa? And Grandpa would tell him of how that God miraculously stopped the Jordan River, and God allowed them to cross over, and allowed them to, to bring great victory over greater enemies. In the land of Canaan. He just wanted them to remember some things. Maybe you remember the Feast of Purim. Maybe you don't. If you're a Jew, you do. That is a feast that they participate in every year. Because if you read the book of Esther, it was the time of when the Persian Empire was going to eliminate the Jewish race from the earth. And God used Esther to... uh, uh, through her uh, intercession to the king and Mordecai to deliver the Jew from bloodshed and from extermination. And so they celebrate this every year, the Feast of Purim, as a memorial to remember some things. And so when I, I pick this text this morning, because in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse number 24, 
I want you to look in verse number 24 and verse number 25. This is a passage that we often use when we as a church are observing what we refer to as the Lord's Supper. Uh, and uh, But Jesus uh, told His men that He wanted to be remembered. And so He left them a memorial. And the Bible says here, now listen, that word uh, memorial, did you know that, the, that that's a German word, or, or should I say the German word for memorial is the word D-E-N-K-M-A-L, Dinkmal. And what that means is, is that a memorial is a thought object. In other words, you see that monument or you see that memorial, like if you were to go to Washington, D.C. and you, and you saw the, the beautiful wall that they have built for the Vietnam veterans, that it is for you to not just look at the names, but also to look at that monument and to stop and to think. Every monument is for you to stop and to think. And when we observe the Lord's Supper, the Lord is saying, would you just stop your busy life? Would you just kind of, for just a moment, would you remember me? And here's what Jesus said in verse number, uh, Paul is, is referring to what Jesus said in 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 24. He said, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me, in memorial of me. I don't want you to forget me. And then then in verse number 25, he said, This cup is the New Testament, my blood, this do ye as oft as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Now there is no set times for the church to do this. Some do it every week. Some do it every fifth Sunday. Some once a year. And we just try to follow the leadership of the Lord. We usually try to do it at least every Fifth Sunday, and today is the fifth Sunday, but we didn't do it this weekend because we knew that half the church would probably be traveling or be gone, and we wanted the whole family to be here when we do it. But I want you to notice here that this is the greatest memorial of all time. And there's just a few things this morning I would like to talk to you about and preach to you just for a few moments about the Lord Jesus Christ and some things that I would like for you to remember about Him. And I think that they are in our text. First of all, I want you to remember His works. His works. Do you remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus one time by night? And he said to Jesus, he said, We know thou art come from God. He said, For no man can do these miracles except God be with him. The works of Jesus were works that no man has ever been able to match. The, 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 the multitude of works that Jesus accomplished in his lifetime. Jesus answered the question of John the Baptist's men came to see him and said, uh, Our master, he was in prison and was having a low moment in his life. And so he sent his men back to Jesus and said, Are thou he that should come or should we look for another? And Jesus answered John's men and said, You tell John that the blind receive their sight and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. 
Have you read through the Gospels and saw how that multitudes would follow Jesus? Multitudes, thousands would follow Him everywhere that He went. And often does it say that Jesus healed every one of them. So there were thousands upon thousands of people that were touched by the hand and the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. No man has ever matched the works of Jesus. But can I say to you, turn with me. you got your hand right there in 1 Corinthians 11. Keep it there. Flip a few pages over to Romans chapter number 5 for me, please. And look at this. But the greatest work that the Lord Jesus Christ did was not in His healings, and walking upon the water, and uh, causing the deaf to hear, and the lepers to be cleansed. But when he was writing here, when Paul wrote this, he did not even mention those things. He mentioned one particular work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't want you to forget it. In Romans chapter 5, look with me please in verse number 7, and in verse number 8. The Bible says for, let's, 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 pack, let's go back up to verse 6. Is for us, for when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. Verse 7 says, for scarcely, meaning every once in a while, in certain situations, for a righteous man will one die. And he said, you know, yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. And I think Memorial Day reflects that truth. In July of 1918, during a battle in France, an 18-year-old young man private by the name of Nicholas Palermo made a decision of his own to save his fellow comrades at the cost of his own life. Indicated here in this passage that some men would do this. There, his, his squadron was, was uh, pinned down facing three Nazi machine gun teams. History says that he left the trench on his own, goes over the top toward the German machine guns. He wipes out the first of the machine guns and under a hell of bullets... He goes on to the second gun, gets hit a couple of times, but takes it out, and then goes to the third one, does some damage, but is killed under a hail of bullets. And he did this to save his comrades. And every once in a while, you'll have a man who will give his life for the sake of others and his friends and his fellow soldiers in the Iraq war. There was a young man who was only 19 years of age named Ross McGinnis. And he was in one of those Humvees. You know, he was up at the top where the, where the machine gun is and, and where the turret is. And he had four guys in the, the Humvee below him. And one of the insurgents threw a, a hand grenade into the Humvee. And he personally had time to jump out of the Humvee off of the top and save himself. But instead of doing that... He fell back down through the turret and landed on his back on purpose on the hand grenade in order to save his four fellow soldiers. And so when you see here in verse number 7, 
For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. A soldier will do that. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Soldiers have done that to save their comrades. But in verse number 8, it implies the greatness of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, but God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And look in verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. In the text here, it says in verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8 says, while we were sinners. Verse number 10 says, while we were enemies. I can understand a soldier and his loyalty and his training dying for his fellow man. But I do not see any of these soldiers dying for the enemy. They were dying to take out the enemy. The Lord Jesus Christ in His works on the cross died for His enemies. Are we saved by grace? Absolutely. Are we saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves? Absolutely. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Absolutely. If somebody approaches you and says, well, I believe in salvation by grace and works, I will say to them, I do too. I believe in salvation by grace through the works of the Lord Jesus Christ Upon the cross. I am saved by His works. And when you observe the Lord's Supper, you are to remember that it was His body that bore your sins on the tree. That it was His blood that was shed for the remission of your sins. He says, I want you to remember my works. And then I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 5 real quick if you would. Revelation chapter number 5. Can you remember this morning in your, on a memorial Sunday that you can remember the works of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now then look with me in the book of Revelation chapter number 5. What a, what a magnificent uh, illustration here of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you, number one, to remember His works. Number two, I want you to remember His worth. W-O-R-T-H. His worth. Revelation chapter number 5. Look at this. Verse 1. I saw on the right hand of Him that sat on the throne. We're given a glimpse of, of heaven here and some heavenly events. A book written within on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book. Now there's been some great men. There's been some great angels. But none were found worthy. Verse 4 says, And I wept much. He didn't just have moist eyes. The Bible says he wept. And he wept much. Because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And then one of the elders said, hold on, son. He said, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed 
to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain. And to our children, he's referring to the death of our Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. And you'll notice in verse 7, And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, and the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials of odors, and which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song. Well, what is this new song? He says, they're saying, Thou art worthy to take the book. For thou wast slain. Remember his death. Remember his sacrifice. All right? Because it is through this death and through this sacrifice, through his body, through his blood, that we, you and I are redeemed unto God. Every morning when you get up, you ought to bow your knee before God, or at least in your heart. While you're driving down the road, bow your heart before God and thank Him that He is worthy of your praise and your thanksgiving. Do you understand? Because it is through His death that you are reconciled to God. It is through His blood that you are redeemed and forgiven of your transgressions, that you have been translated into the kingdom of God and that you have been delivered from the power of darkness. You have been adopted into the family of God. You now have an inheritance that is will never fade away. So you have a lot of blessings here and he is worthy of your praise. Look in verse number 12. Now listen, if you don't like to sing, you're going to learn how to sing. And you're going to want to sing. I don't know why you don't want to sing now. You ought to be willing to sing unto the Lord. The music you listen to, the music that goes through your heart, (coughs) excuse me, matters to God. The Holy Ghost is either pleased with what you're doing or grieved by what you're doing. You don't need to be singing something like, if heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. Because if you think that heaven's a lot like Dixie, you probably ain't going. Amen. The Bible says here in Revelation chapter 5, it says, look at this, in verse 11. I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them were 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands. How many is that? Hey, that's, that's more, millions. It's more than that's here this morning, isn't it? Amen. And the Bible says in verse 12, saying with a loud voice. See, you won't be humming. You'll be singing with a loud voice. So you'll have a regenerate, a, re, a new body. You'll be able to sing. And he said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. And this morning, I want you to understand and remember His worth. And by the way, he says He is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea and all that in the said, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Now when you read the book of Revelation, and listen, the Bible recommends that you read it, and he says you don't have to understand it. It's just a promise if you'll read it. Read it. And by the time you get to chapter number 2, 
He's going to say, I got one thing against you. He said, you've left your first love. And you know who ought to be your first love? It ought to be the Lord Jesus Christ. He is worthy of our time, our talents, our treasures, our thoughts, our worship, and our praise, giving thanks unto His name. As we heard this morning, that we ought to rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. You know, Paul wrote and said at the end of 1 Corinthians, he said, you know what, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, let him be anathema. Maranatha. That means let him be accursed. Let him go to hell when the Lord comes back. We need to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is worthy this morning. When you come to church, He's worthy of your time to pick up that songbook and from your heart make a serious effort to sing unto the Lord. As we sung this morning about Calvary. And when, when, when earth... When, when time is no more, and when earth is no more. And brother, that day's coming. But He's worthy now for you to worship Him. Now, the third thing I want you to remember about the Lord Jesus Christ, because Paul was writing to them, said, he said, I want you to remember the words of the Lord Jesus and where Jesus spoke to His men, but I want you to remember some of the words of the Lord Jesus. Can you? Do you have a favorite verse? That Jesus spake? Do you remember any of the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus said, listen, I want you to abide in me. And I want my words to abide in you. This is how you develop a prayer life. He said, because then you will ask and you'll receive if my words abide in you. But listen, Jesus said some things that are monumental, life-changing, life-altering, that make all the difference in the world, words that you can repeat and say to others and give them hope or give them warning. I like to quote men. I like to quote presidents. I like to quote people who are wise and sometimes even once in a while somebody dumb will say something that's pretty good. But I want to remember the words of Jesus. You know what they said about Jesus when he would talk and teach and preach? The soldiers were sent to arrest him one time by the Pharisees and they did not. They came back and they said, hey, what's going on with you guys? And they said, listen, no man ever spake like this man. I think about the words he spoke to Nicodemus when Nicodemus came to him by night. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, a teacher who knew the Bible And yet Jesus looked at him and said, and what wonderful words these are that you better take heed to them. And if you're watching online, you better take heed to these words. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He said, you must be born again. And if you don't know how to witness, and you don't know how to break down some things and maybe articulate the truth to a sinner or your friend or your family, Surely you can remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ when He said, this is what Jesus said. You, you can say that to your son and daughter. You can say that to your children. You must be born again. The multitudes that were hurting around the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this passage. Jesus said unto them, 
He said, come unto me. Can you can tell this to a person? Occasionally I'll get a phone call of somebody who's discouraged, disappointed in life, depressed about some things, maybe trying to find the Lord, trying to get back with God. I can with confidence tell them the words of Jesus. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He said, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Can you give somebody that hope from the words of Jesus? Can you remember those words? You don't have to be perfect with them. Give the thought to them. And how about the words he gave to his disciples that are also to me? He said, let not your heart be troubled. How many times have you said that to someone? Let not your heart be troubled. Who said that? Jesus said that. He said, you believe in God. Believe also in me. What man would ever say something like that? Except Jesus. You believe in God. He said, believe also in me. So he's either, he's either insane or he is the Messiah. I choose to believe the record that God has left of His Son. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And He said, the whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And then somebody raised their hand and said, wait a minute. And I know that you may pick at Thomas, but you're glad Thomas asked some of the questions that you sometimes have. He said, you know, Lord, we we don't know where where you're going and how can we know the way? I'm glad he asked that question. Because what a wonderful answer that Jesus gave that we quote over and over to people. I was speaking to a man about his soul just the other day and he was not familiar with this passage. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, I was able to tell him that. That's a pretty narrow statement. That, that cuts loose all other religions on the planet. It narrows it down and says that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is not a way and He is not a truth. These are the words of Jesus. And can I say that the Lord Jesus Christ also has a word to religious hypocrites and people who want to have nothing to do with Him? Jesus said to that religious crowd, He said to them, If you believe not that I am He, He said, You will die in your sins. And you can say that to someone who might even mock you. And you can look at them and say, let me just tell you what Jesus said. This is not what I say. This is what Jesus said. If you believe not that I am He, you will die in your sins. Now, would you turn with me please to the book of Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter number 6. The last thing I want you to remember uh, this morning from this message, number one, I want you to remember His works. I want you to remember His worth. He is worth your praise and your worship. 
He is worth you participating in the Lord's Supper and remembering Him. He is worth you. Listen, you remember somebody's words. I don't know who you're listening to. I don't know if you're quoting Rush Limbaugh. I don't know if you're quoting Dave Ramsey. I don't know if you're quoting someone else, but you've been reading, listening, following someone, and you probably are quoting someone. How about if your lips were fitted to quote the words of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself? The words of Christ. His words have life. And they give life. Revelation 5, I want you to not only remember His works, His death upon the cross, His worth, and His words. But look in Revelation chapter 5. Our last thought this morning. I want you to remember His wrath. And the reason I say that is because in the passage we read in 1 Corinthians, it says, as oft as you do this, you show the Lord's death till He comes. And right after He says that, He says, you need to examine yourself and judge Yourself, lest you be condemned with the world. Indicating that when the Lord comes back, it will be a twofold impact. It will be to reward those who have trusted Him and believed upon Him and turned to Him in repentance and faith, and then to bring wrath and vengeance upon those who have chose to mock Him, to reject Him, to ridicule those who follow Him. Jude spoke about these. He said they would be murmurers, complainers, speak hard speeches, and have ungodly lust. It was P.J. O'Rourke who said this about the generation in which we live. He said, at the core of liberalism, that's what we call it, but really really liberalism is nothing but the core of unbelief and God-rejecting philosophies. At the core of liberalism is the spoiled child. Miserable, as all spoiled children are, unsatisfied, demanding, ill-disciplined, despotic, and useless. Liberalism is a philosophy of sniveling brats. And that is what Jude was referring to when he said they are murmurers and complainers and full of ungodly lust and demands. But look in Revelation chapter 5. We talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. When He comes, and He will... Be twofold, victory for some, vengeance upon others. The Bible refers to the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it also says, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and will not respond to the gospel. Revelation 5. Look at this with me, please. Kind of gives you a little... I said Revelation 5. I meant Revelation 6. I'm just going to give you a little taste of this, of what will be occurring. 
The Bible refers to the fact that you and I have been saved from the wrath to come, which means there is a wrath to come. We believe it to begin in its early stages immediately after the rapture of the church. And the wrath of God will begin to fall upon this planet like the world has never seen before. If you believe the history of the Bible, and you believe the record that God has left of His Son, would you also then embrace the prophetic utterances of the Bible about what is going to happen? Prophecy is pre-written history. Look in Revelation 6. Look what it says when I say the wrath. Talking about remembering the Lord Jesus. The Bible says here in verse 12, I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, and as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places." And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens, in the rocks of the mountains. Now look at this. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. In those days, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, men will seek death and will not be able to find it. In our day, we flee from death and it's able to find us. And yet here, they're going to seek it. And they'd rather die than get right with God. Did you know there are many people like that? They would rather die than admit that they're wrong and that God is right. What a fool. Verse 7 says this, For the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? All right, let's skip over to chapter 19. I'm almost done. Look in Revelation 19, verse number 11. The greatest memorial is the cross. The greatest memorial is is the Lord's Supper. He didn't stay in that grave, thank God. And He is coming back. And the Bible says in Revelation 19, verse 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on, on him was called faithful and true. In righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So that you might know for sure that this is him. John made it very clear that he was the Word manifest in the flesh. He was God manifest in the flesh. Look in verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven. You know, people have some pretty weird ideas about really what heaven is like. 
And they sometimes say heaven is a place of where there is no war. And yet, why would you have armies in heaven if there is no war? Hmm? And the Bible says that God is a man of war. It says that armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That will be us. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The next verses are going to indicate that there will be such a great battle and so much bloodshed, bridle deep to a horse. Jesus referred to a place where the birds would come together and eat the flesh of kings and famous men, the battle of Armageddon. And here you see the wrath of God being poured out upon the earth. And listen to me, God is a righteous God. He is good, He is kind, He is gentle, He is gracious. He is long-suffering. He is willing to save those who are willing to come to Him. And it is the righteous judgment of God that you see here. Not someone who just got up on the wrong side of the bed and is mad at everybody. But He has given man opportunity after opportunity. Can I say to you this morning... Go back to me at our text and let's read it and let's go to the house, all right? Look with me at 1 Corinthians 13. Look at this, what he says right here. And Paul is referring to when we, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Would you turn there? 1 Corinthians 11. Let's read these verses again and let's consider the truth of them. This memorial, when you say that you look at a memorial, okay, you're to, you're to take a minute, stop, think about the significance of that memorial. When you observe the Lord's Supper, the bread and the fruit of the vine, one represents His body, the other one represents His blood. The body, the Bible says in verse 24, was broken for you and me. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Think about it. Verse 25, He said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread, verse 26, and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death. That, my friend, is a memorial. Till He come. And in our passage, here's what He asks you to do. What is the result of this message this morning? Well, number one, you are to take a backward look at the cross. You are to take a forward look at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse number 26, till He come. And you are to take an inward look at your heart. That's why He says in verse number 28, but let a man examine himself. 2 Corinthians thirteen five says, examine yourself to see whether or not you are in the faith, lest you be reprobates. We talk, examine ourselves. And so, I hope tomorrow that sometime during the day that you'll gather your family around and bow your head and thank the Lord for the sacrifices that were made for the freedom and liberties that we still have as an American. 
But I pray also along with that prayer, that in that prayer that you would thank your heavenly Father for sending His only begotten Son into this world to become the propitiation for your sins and for mine and for raising Him up from the dead that sinners like you and I could be reconciled to a holy God that through His works on the cross sinners like you and me can be justified in the eyes of God and that we can thank Him for opening our eyes and showing us that we are sinners that Jesus is the Savior and that we now have eternal life because of Him, and that we can look forward to Him coming and not fear His wrath that is to come upon this planet. You have been saved by the grace of God and are safe by the grace of God. And you ought to thank Him tomorrow with your family. It's more than about hot dogs or hamburgers and boating and fishing and camping and and eating, and fellowshipping. Thank God for all those freedoms and liberties. But I pray that you take a sober moment and look at that son and that daughter, uh, your children, your grandchildren, and say, hey, let's don't just remember the soldiers today that died for us, but let's remember the Savior who died for us. Amen? And all God's people said, Amen.